As we dive in this morning, I'm just excited to be with you. I'm excited to be able to share God's truth with you this morning. Uh, Let's open in a word of prayer before we dive in. Heavenly Father, we just ask that your spirit, God, have free reign in our hearts this morning. God, wherever we might be with you in terms of our relationship, God, I just pray that you will draw us closer. God, you will be present in this place and be at work in our hearts and in our minds this morning. God, as we examine who you are, this concept of light and love, God, I pray that it might make an impact on us, that it might serve to point us to the light and the love of the world, the relationship that you desire with us, God, and that you might just draw us close into your arms this morning. Give us a giant hug. God, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So we're in John chap- 1 John chapter 3 this morning, and uh, we're actually going to start in chapter 2, verse 29, because uh, the last verse of chapter 2 uh, kind of picks up on where we're going in chapter 3. So join me, if you would, in 1 John chapter 2, verse 29. We're going to read through the passage this morning. If you know that he is righteous, you know this as well. Everyone who does what is right has been born of him. Look how great a love the Father has given us that we should be called God's children. And we are. The reason the world does not know us is that it didn't know him. Dear friends, we are God's children now. And what we will be has not yet been revealed. We know that when he appears, we will be like him because we will see him as he is. And everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself just as he is pure. Everyone who commits sin also breaks the law. Sin is the breaking of law. You know that he was revealed so that he might take away our sins. And there is no sin in him. Everyone who remains in him does not sin. Everyone who sins has not seen him or known him. Little children, let no one deceive you. The one who does what is right is righteous, just as he is righteous. The one who commits sin is of the devil, for the devil has sinned from the beginning. The Son of God was revealed for this purpose— to destroy the devil's works. Everyone who has been born of God does not sin. Because his seed remains in him, he is not able to sin because he has been born of God. This is how God's children and the devil's children are made evident. This morning we're going to dive into whose child are you? Whose child are you? That's our uh, message title this morning. Uh, you know, I, I uh, have been serving as a pastor for about 21 years now here at Crossroads. And I started as a youth pastor, and I quickly realized that we didn't have enough funds to run our program. And so I began a fundraiser annually, and it was the Fireworks Booth Fundraiser. Um, and how many of you guys remember that? We had it out there on the corner of the street. and. One of the things I learned quickly in running that booth was that there are people who out there who want to take advantage of you. Couldn't believe it. 
And they will actually try and pass counterfeit bills to you and take fireworks from your fundraiser for the kids of the community, if you can believe the audacity. And so one of the things that we realized kind of quick uh, early on was that um, we had to find ways to make sure we, we could identify a genuine bill from a counterfeit bill. And so there are several markers that the U.S. has put in their currency, right? Especially like $20 bills and the, the larger currencies, that if you hold it up to the light or, you know, you, you just see the little uh, strip that's in there, you can identify even feeling the paper sometimes, right? You can tell, or, or the counterfeits are kind of a little bit maybe blurry, or there's just something that seems off with them, right? And so it's very important in order to uh, run a successful fundraiser to not take in counterfeit bills because every bill that you take in is no good when you take it to the bank and it, it reduces the profit that you get from your fundraiser, all the hard work that you put in. And so there were, there were ways that I would try and communicate to people that were working, make sure you go through testing to see if it's genuine before you take the bill. You know, this, this section of 1 John is really an opportunity to test to see if someone is genuine in their relationship with God, in their relationship with Christ. And just like the U.S. creates several markers in their currency that can, that can reveal whether or not a bill, a, a U.S. currency, is genuine or not, so 1 John outlines five areas where we can see whether or not someone is truly a child of God or if they're unfortunately still a child of the devil. And so 1 John lays this out here in chapter 3, and we're going to look at that together this morning. Number one, number one, the first marker is found in 1 John 3.1. God's children are delighting in their father's love delighting in their father's love, where Satan's children are calloused to knowing God. Calloused to knowing God. Let's read 1 John 3, 1 again. Look how great a love the Father has given us, that we should be called God's children, and we are. The reason the world does not know us is that it didn't know him. It didn't know him. You know, when, when someone in the world sins, an unbeliever, someone who's not in the Father's love, when they sin, they are sinning against their creator. They're sinning against the God who created them. But there's not a relationship there. It's simply the idea that they have a creator. The creator has the right to call the shots in the world that he has created, and they have decided to rebel against their creator. But when a believer sins, when someone who has placed their trust in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of their sins, when they sin, they are sinning against their father. They're sinning against someone who they have a relationship established with. They're grieving their father. Delighting in the Father's love means trusting that he has the best in mind for us. 
you know, a group of teenagers were out, and they were looking to have a good time, and so there was a suggestion made that they go to a certain place and uh, live it up a little bit. Well, one of the girls in the group said, you know, I don't think I'm going to go because my father just doesn't approve of that kind of thing. And one of her friends kind of mockingly joked, what, are you afraid your dad's going to hurt you or something? And she said, no, I'm not afraid that my dad's going to hurt me. I'm afraid that I'm going to hurt my father. You see, that's the attitude that God describes here about delighting in the Father's love. It's having a deep respect for how much God has poured out his love into our lives. When we have a respect for God's love, it should lead us to have a respect for the Father and for the Father's guidelines for our life. God's children delight in their Father's love, but what about Satan's children? They're calloused towards knowing the Father. You know, there's a parable that Jesus shares about a seed that falls on various soils. And in the case of the seed, sometimes it falls on soils that are hard or rocky. The seed is the Word of God. It's, it's, it's available to anyone that will listen. But at times it falls on a hard or calloused heart. This is the heart of an unbeliever. This is the heart of someone who has just grown hard to the Father's love. We really need to be guarded against that kind of heart. We need to be open to what God has for our life. Number two, number two is this. God's children are driven by an eternal hope. God's children are driven by an eternal hope. Satan's children are corrupted by a rebellious heart. Corrupted by a rebellious heart. Let's read 1 John 3, 2 through 4 together. Dear friends, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet been revealed. We know that when he appears, we will be like him, because we will see him as he is. And everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself just as he is pure. Everyone who commits sin also breaks the law. Sin is the breaking of law. John describes here this concept that those that are genuinely in Christ, in God's family, they have a hope beyond this life. They have an eternal perspective. They're looking at things through a lens of not just the here and now, but of the things to come, the things that will be, the realities that exist beyond the grave. But those that are bound in Satan's world, that are still calling him father, they are corrupted by a rebellious heart. They're bound to rebel against God and his authority in their life. You know, it's unique here um, because in verse 1, 2, and 3, we see a progression that's developed. Number one, in verse 1, it says what we are. It says we are what in verse 1? It says we are 
God's children. That's a reality for those who have placed their faith in Jesus Christ. They've been adopted into the family of God. It's a position that cannot be threatened by anything. The Bible says that we are secure when we place our faith in Jesus Christ. But it doesn't just stop there. Verse 2 says there is a reality for those that have placed their faith in Jesus that is still to come. And that reality is that we will be like him when we see him. Isn't that an exciting thought to think about? I don't know about you, but my body is slowly decaying. My, the aches and pains are increasing. And I'm only 46. I can't imagine those of you guys in your 60s and 70s. I'm impressed that you guys are even here this morning. But the reality is that this shell, this body, this temple that we call home in this world is not the finished product. There is a reality to come, and that is that we are going to have a body like Jesus' eternal, glorious body. And that is something to amen. That is something to look forward to and be excited about. Because we don't have to just have hope for this lifetime. We have a hope for eternity. And that's what we are to live like. And in verse 3, it says that those who are the children of God, who have the hope of being like their Savior Jesus in his glorified state, it says what we should be in light of all of those things. We should be focusing on on purity, focusing on purity. You know, in the ancient biblical days, there was the way it worked, and I know Michael and uh, Lexi just got engaged, but the way it would work is once a couple got engaged, there was the man would go back to his father's house and he would build. He would construct a room for him and his bride to enjoy on their wedding day. You know, you might remember where Jesus says, I'm going to prepare a place for you when he spoke to his disciples in John chapter 14. That's the concept that he was talking about. He's the bridegroom. He's going to have to go away. He knew that he was going to die on the cross, that he was going to rise again, and that he was going to ascend into heaven at the right hand of his father. But he had a job to do. He is preparing a place for his bride, the church, for those who place their faith in him. He's preparing a place. So what would the bride be doing while the bridegroom was away at his father's house? Preparing a place for the bride for their wedding day. Well, the the bride would be staying pure. Would be saying no to any other pursuer. Or or someone that would try and uh, desire her affection and her allegiance. she'd She'd be wearing a veil to signify to the world that she was taken. That she was not available to be pursued by any other interest. That she was wholly devoted to her bridegroom, who was away at the moment. But he was working, and he was putting together their bridal chamber for that great wedding day. And so she was to stay pure, and she was to stay devoted while he was away. So that that day when he was to return to blow the trumpet, to wake her up in the middle of the night. That was the tradition. That was the fun. That she would be ready 
that she would be prepared, that she would stay pure and lovely for her bridegroom. And that's really the message that's given here in verse 3. Everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself just as he is pure. There's an emphasis here on those who are truly the children of God are going to work at staying pure and following the instructions that God has given us. We're not going to be wrapped up in sin and and just moving in a direction of like giving in to all the other things that are pursuing us or, or, or causing us to get distracted in this life. That's not the mark of a genuine believer. That's not the mark of a bride who has set herself apart for her bridegroom. Number three, the third marker here, is God's children are determined to abide in Christ. They're determined to abide in Christ. While Satan's children are closed to experiencing Christ. They're closed to experiencing Christ. Let's read 1 John 3, 5, and 6 again. You know that he was revealed so that he might take away sins. And there is no sin in him. Everyone who remains in him does not sin. Everyone who, has, who sins has not seen him or known him. You see here that, that, he, that he was revealed. Jesus was revealed. He came to the cross so that he might take away our sins. There was no sin in him. He was perfection sent from above. He was the perfect, spotless Lamb of God whose mission was to bear our sins because the Father had loved us greatly. Romans chapter 5, verse 8, it says that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. It wasn't that we cleaned up our act first. God accepts us as we are. We are to come as we are to him and to the foot of the cross. And God says that you come as you are and I'll clean you up. I will wipe you clean. I will bear your sin, the punishment and the shame. I did that on the cross on your behalf because I loved you that much. And those who accept that offer of forgiveness that's available to all, who will believe, who will recognize Jesus is the Messiah, the one sent from God to bear our sins and take away our punishment and our shame. Those who place their faith in Jesus will want to abide with Jesus. They'll want to draw close. That word abide is is the idea of staying close to Christ. It's the opposite of fleeing. It's the opposite of withdrawal. It's the opposite of what we're doing in Afghanistan. We're just running. We're we're leaving. We're getting out of there, right? And unfortunately, there's times where we see people doing the same thing in their relationship with Jesus. They're running away. That's not the mark of someone who is truly one of God's children. They're determined to stay close to Christ. 
Satan's children want to run away. They're tired of Christ being in their life, calling the shots. They don't want anything to do with that. Because they've rejected, they have a heart that is hard towards the love of God. And they're close to experiencing his authority in their life. You know, sin is basically a matter of the will. It's a matter of the will. It's for us to assert our will against God's will. It's rebellion. And rebellion is at the root of all sin. No matter what the outward action may be, the inner attitude of the heart of someone who is living in sin is rebellion. Is rebellion. There was a little girl riding in the car with her dad. And she decided to stand up in the back seat as they were driving down the freeway. And her father, concerned for her safety, yelled at her, get back down in, in your seat and put on your seatbelt. But she declined. He told her a second time, and again she refused. If you don't sit down immediately, I'm going to pull this car over, and I'm going to spank your little bottom, the dad yelled. Finally, at this, the girl obeyed. But after a few minutes went by, the girl said, I'm still standing, Dad, in my heart. <laughs> do we not do that sometimes with God? We might finally obey out of either fear or out of some other motivation. But we're not driven by the love that we should have in our hearts towards God and the, and the submission that we should have towards his authority. Rebelliousness is at the root of sin. Number four. Number four. God's children. The, the thing that marks God's children is that they are delivered from the power of sin in their life. They're delivered from sin, having complete authority and control over their daily lives. But Satan's children are controlled constantly by the power of sin. You know, God came so that we might have victory over sin, that we might have freedom. First, the penalty of sin has been removed from those who have placed their faith in Jesus Christ. Jesus took on the penalty of sin on himself. He bore sin on our behalf so that we don't ever have to face the penalty of sin. And Romans tells us what the penalty of sin is. It's death. It's separation from, an, from a God, a creator, an eternal being forever and ever. That's the penalty for those who choose to have their sins unforgiven by a God who has made provision for forgiveness. You don't want to face that. But beyond that, he has delivered us from the power of sin in everyday life. We no longer have to give in to the, to the enemy, to the one who's come to kill, steal, and destroy. We have a defense. We have the ability to say no to ungodliness. We've been given his spirit in our life, 
his help, his new creation, we've been born again. One day we will be set free from the presence of sin. We all look forward to that day, do we not? There's a place called heaven where their sin is no more. Where only righteousness dwells. We look forward to that day. But on this earth, we're going to have a struggle. There's the old nature, the flesh, and there's the new nature, the spirit. And our will has to choose in every given moment, who are we going to yield to? But not so for the person who's not in Christ. They don't have a choice. The power of sin is their only choice. And it consumes their life. Even the good things that they seemingly do are done out of the wrong motivation. They're done out of a motivation not to to please God and to honor him, but they're done for something else that's self-glorifying. No, God's children are delivered from the power of sin, but Satan's children are controlled by the power of sin. Satan is a rebel, but Christ was the obedient son of God. Christ was obedient to death, even death on a cross. Christ is God, but he was willing to become a servant. Satan was a servant, but he wanted to become God. From the beginning of his career, Satan has been a sinner. But Christ came to destroy the works of the devil. Let's read uh, in verse 8, chapter 3, verse 7 and 8. Little children, let no one deceive you. The one who does what is right is righteous, just as he is righteous. The one who commits sin is of the devil. For the devil has sinned from the beginning. The Son of God was revealed for this purpose, to destroy the devil's works. The word destroy here in the Greek is not to annihilate. It's not to wipe it out completely. But it is meant to say to disarm, to make powerless the works of the devil. You see, when Jesus died on the cross, Jesus disarmed the devil. He's the accuser. He's the one who will constantly go around and go, that person doesn't deserve it. And God says, you know what? You're right. But because of what Jesus has done on their behalf, they have righteousness in him. They have been given right standing before me, not because of their own righteousness, but because of Christ. That's what's said here. The one who does what is right is righteous, just as he is righteous. In other words, Jesus said this, no good fruit or good tree produces bad fruit. We don't expect an apple tree to start producing thorns. We expect it to produce apples. It's a thorn bush that produces thorns. We understand that nature, and God is telling us through the book of 1 John that we should see that also in the lives of individuals that have placed their faith in Jesus. The genuine ones are going to produce good works, are going to produce from the inside out things that characterize righteousness and choosing what is right and what is good. 
And the ones who are counterfeit, the ones who are pretending, the ones who may even make a claim, who may come to church, who may be around, who may be here today, but have not surrendered to the power of Christ in their life and the authority of God, they're going to produce thorns. Their life is going to be characterized not only just by a bunch of sins, but by sin. Sin is in the singular here. And really it's the sin of rebellion. It's the sin of unbelief. When we don't believe God, we're not going to follow God. When we don't believe in his authority in our life, we're not going to submit to it. That's the sin that's in question here. And yes, when you, when you sin in that way, your life is going to be characterized by a bunch of sins and by a bunch of rebellious acts. The, the life of the Christian and the life of the believer and the life that has surrendered themselves to the cross and to Jesus as Lord, you might see some sins, but you're not going to see the sin of unbelief. You're not going to see the sin of just pure rebelliousness. Because that's not going to mark the life of someone who's genuinely in Christ. They're the ones who are quick to ask for forgiveness. They're the ones who are quick to confess the wrongs that they have done. Number five, the fifth marker of God's children is found in verses 9 and 10 here. God's children are dedicated to obedience and purity. They're dedicated to obedience and purity. Satan's children are consistently going the devil's way. Consistently going the devil's way. Let's read that together, verse 9. Everyone who has been born of God does not sin. There's the sin in the singular. There's the sin that is really characterized by the idea of rebellion and unbelief. The person who's been born of God is not in a state of unbelief. They're not in a state of constant rebellion. Because his seed remains in him. His seed is the Holy Spirit of God that has been implanted into the heart of those who place their trust in Jesus Christ. He is not able to sin. Again, in the singular, because he has been born of God. This is how God's children and the devil's children are made evident. I want to just recap for us this morning the characteristics of Satan's children and the characteristics of God's children. Number one, Satan's children are calloused to knowing God. They have a hard heart towards knowing or, or truly getting to know the God of the universe, the God who sent his son Jesus into our world to save the world. They're just not interested in drawing close to that God, to knowing that God, to experiencing what that God can bring to their life. Number two, they're corrupted by a rebellious heart. They're just wanting to go their own way. Number three, they're closed to experiencing Christ and the power of his death and resurrection in their life. Number four, they're controlled by the power of sin. 
Sin has hold of their life, and they're constantly giving into it because they're controlled by its power. And number five, they're consistently going the devil's way. They're consistently going the devil's way. Let's look at God's children in in contrast again here in this passage. Number one, they're delighting in their father's love. Do you remember verse one? It said, look, that word in the Greek is behold. Take a good look at. Just get excited about what you see. Behold, what manner of love the Father has lavished unto us that we should be called the children of God. They are delighting in his love. Number two, they're driven by an eternal hope. They're not just thinking about this life. They're thinking about a life beyond the grave. Their whole life is characterized by the idea that there is a future, there is a reality that exists outside of the here and now and what we know in this world. Number three, they're determined to stay close or to abide in Christ. They're determined. No one can take them away from that determination. It's built into them because they're born again. They have a new birth. They have a newness in their heart that cannot be erased. Number four, they're delivered from the power of sin. Their life is not characterized by constant sin and unconfessed sin in their life. It's just not. You see a constant confession, maybe. There's times where the the children of God fail. There's no perfection on this earth. But we are being made new each and every day. We are being conformed into the image of Christ. That's sanctification. That's the process that God begins in us when he plants his spirit in our hearts and in our lives. And it will be carried on to completion at the day of Christ's return. And number five, they're dedicated to obedience and purity. They're like a bride in waiting. They want to stay pure for their bridegroom because they're taking that seriously. It's not just some sort of fairy tale to them. It's not just some sort of thing they're sort of going through the motions with. It's a reality that they're living every day. Now, as we wrap up, I have five questions I want to challenge us with. I believe they come from what we've looked at this morning. And they're very important because here's the temptation. The temptation is to start to think about someone else. Well, I know somebody that fits that category or that category. But that's not what this letter was intended to do. This letter was intended for you to do some self-examination. The Word of God is designed for us to take a look into the mirror. And this morning I have five questions that are about self-examination as we close. Number one. Do I have the divine nature within me, or am I merely pretending to be a Christian? I hope that this message has helped you see that there is a difference between the children of God and the children of Satan. But you might have been through this message thinking, man, am I truly born again? That's the intent of this letter. To help you understand that if you aren't born again, now's the day of opportunity. 
Now is the time to surrender your life to Christ. Stop turning a hard heart to God. Stop being controlled by sin and rebellion and unbelief. God says in in Scripture that now is the time of God's favor. Now should be the day of salvation. It's available to anyone who is willing to come to surrender to the cross, to repent of their rebellious sin and turn to Jesus in faith. James chapter 1, verse 21, Jesus' brother wrote these words, Therefore, ridding yourself of all moral filth and evil, humbly receive the implanted word which is able to save you. But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. James knew how easy it could be to just hang out with Jesus. Do you remember the crowds that came to be with Jesus? 5,000 of them were fed in one moment. But where, where did they all go? Because the Bible tells us that there was 120 people in Acts chapter 2 that were waiting together in an upper room. Where are the thousands? Where were the masses who wanted to be with Jesus? There were only 120 faithful when the church was born. What happened? There was a lot of deception. There was a lot of hardness of hearts. There was a lot of pretending. Let it not be true with us today. Number two, do I allow my old nature to control my thoughts and desires? If you're in Christ, you still have an old nature. Do I allow it to control my thoughts and desires? Or am I allowing the divine nature, the new nature that God has put in me through his Holy Spirit, do I allow that to rule my life? His Spirit. James chapter 4, again, verse 7. Therefore, submit to God, but resist the devil, and he will flee from you. There's a battle raging every day, every decision we make. And we have, a, we have a choice in that moment. Are we going to submit and surrender to the authority of God? Or are we going to give in to the tricks and the destruction of the enemy, the devil? Number three, do I cultivate the divine nature, the nature that God has planted in me? Do I, do I help it become all that it can be in my life through daily Bible reading and prayer? James chapter 4, verse 8, the very next verse says, Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded people. Am I taking my relationship with God seriously? Am I cultivating it on a daily basis? Or am I just in coast mode? Because when you're in coast mode, you're on your way to a crash. Because the devil is too cunning. He'll find a way to find that foothold that he can grab hold of again in your life. We have to stay close to God. Number four, when temptation comes, do I entertain it or do I run from it? Do I immediately yield to the divine nature within me? You better be prepared for temptation in this world because it's coming. It's going to come every day and it's going to come hard. It's going to come fast. And it's going to come into areas where you're vulnerable. Because the enemy knows your life. He watches your life. And he sees where he can maybe get you 
and he's going to bring the temptations in those areas. And they're different for all of us, right? They're different for all of us. And so the question is, are we fleeing from our youthful lusts? That's how the devil tempts us, does he not? He goes after the things that we lust for, the things that we want apart from God. He knows our old nature, our old self, the self before the cross, and he keeps trying to get back into there and get us in those areas so that he can kill, steal, and destroy from our lives. 1 Corinthians 10, 13, if you don't know this verse, you should memorize it. No temptation has overtaken you except what is common to humanity. God is faithful. He will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you can handle, beyond what you're able to bear, but with the temptation, he will provide a way to escape so that you may be able to bear it, stand up under it, stand up through the test, not fall to the tricks of the devil. When temptation comes, do you entertain it or do you run? Do you ask for God's help to see the way out, to see the way through without giving in? Number five, and I invite the worship team up this morning as we're going to respond. Has any unconfessed sin defiled my inner self, made me impure, Is there anything that stands between me and being pure for my bridegroom? Have I come into this room this morning and God's made it plainly evident that I need to confess this sin that's in my life? The question is, are we going to continue to try and hide it? Continue to try and think that that's not going to make a big deal in our life? Or are we going to bring it before the cross and forgive and ask for his forgiveness and confess it? Am I willing to confess and forsake that sin? Earlier in the book of 1 John, he says, hey, I know that you're going to mess up. Yes, I want you to be striving to be pure. That's part of your responsibility as a true redeemed believer in Christ, but you're going to mess up. And if you mess up, let me tell you this. If you confess your sin, He, speaking of God, is faithful and just to forgive you of your sin, and he'll cleanse you from all unrighteousness. Even the things you're not even sure where you screwed up, you don't even know that you screwed up, but when you are willing to say, I see that I screwed up here, and I'm going to bring that before God and agree that he was right, I was wrong, and I'm sorry. The Bible says that he not only forgives that, but he wipes clean everything that's in our life. That's such a gift. And it restores that fellowship, that communion that we need with Jesus on a daily basis. In just a few minutes, we're going to have an opportunity to take communion. To be able to say, God, I I remember the sacrifice that you made for me through your son, Jesus. And we're going to have an opportunity to just respond to who he is. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just thank you, God, for this this message, this truth this morning. God, I know when I was studying it this week, God, it shook me to the core, the serious nature of counterfeit. The counterfeits, God, that can 
just work into our hearts and into our minds, into our thinking. God, help us to be pure for you. God, and if there's anyone in here that has never truly placed their faith in Jesus, God, let this be a day for them of true conversion, of true salvation, of being born again. God, I pray for them this morning that they might turn their heart over to you, Jesus, as Lord and Savior. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.